Rachel's we're looking a at Leo. our charts. Yeah, we were. <laughs> we got really into astrology today. Rachel yeah. hadn't done before. just today. Just today. Just today. Yeah. Really, like two it's hours. Really, ago. really cool. You should get really into it. Hello, I'm Rachel Handler, and welcome to Lady Problems, where every Thursday, me and a rotating crew of ladies look at the way that pop culture has treated women in a given week. It is almost always terribly. This week, Teo Bugby. Hi, Teo. Hello. And I are co-hosting the show alongside our guest, Sophia Tikal. Hi, Sophia. Hi. So Sophia is an actress, writer, and a director, and her new movie, Always Shine, is in theaters this week. So... First, we're going to interview Sophia about Always Shine, which is a twisted tale of doppelgangers and feminine jealousy. And then we'll delve into this week's lady problem, which is Kathleen Kennedy, who made recent comments about there being no female directors ready to helm a Star Wars movie. And we will then talk about what we can do this week to fuck with the Trump administration, a fun new segment that we've just invented. And finally, we'll answer a lady problem for Nicole, whose aunt sounds extremely terrible. So, Sophia, do you want to summarize Always Shine for our listeners who may not have seen it? Oh, my gosh. I actually have a really hard time doing that. <laughs> do you? Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to summarize it? I mean, Taya, um, it's, it's so awkward to, like, you know, summarize someone's movie. I know. I'm also interested in hearing how other people perceive it. <laughs> I mean, like, I can talk about the ideas behind the movie so much better than I can talk sure, about the Sure, yeah. It's a movie about competition between women, and it's about how women feel. Uh, feel pressure to behave in a particular way in order to be considered feminine. And it's about how that can drive us crazy. And the two main characters are are both actresses in the film, and Mm -hmm. they both sort of are going through a kind of career ascendancy or potential ascendancy, I think is like the general Mm -hmm. plot. Oh, yeah, and it's set in Big Sur. That's a perk. (laughs) (laughs) I like this collaborative uh, effort here. And it stars stars Mackenzie Davis and Mm -hmm. Caitlin Fitzgerald. Yeah. and, yeah, I, I mean, I think any woman can relate to this film. I absolutely did. It was funny because Teo and I were talking earlier. She was like, I really have never felt jealous of another woman. And I was like, oh, my God, I completely That's have. amazing. You really haven't? <laughs> well, I think we were talking about this, too, and I was like, I just don't ever. And Rachel's like, maybe because you're, you're gay. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, right, that's right. Because I think a lot feelings. of, at least for me when I was younger, a lot of the competition came from, like, Men? getting men's attention. Yeah, totally. But I think that— um, it's interesting because I'm married to a man, but, like, I'm attracted to women, and I'm all, often attracted to a woman that I, like, want to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's also a thing. And, like, that ends like, up becoming jealousy at some point in that front. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, oh, that girl is so beautiful and confident <laughs> and really knows how to, you know, behave in the right way, and I wish I knew how to do that. I'm going to become her friend so I can learn. And then by the <laughs> end, I'm like, but I really know I want to kill you. <laughs> I do like the definition of queer as not distinguishing between who you want to be and who you want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. I really cool. There is like such – there is a very blurry line. I mean, and this movie deals with it too between I think feeling attracted to someone and wanting to murder them. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's <laughs> it's a masochistic, right? masochistic impulse to totally. be interested in anyone anyway. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I know your husband wrote this movie. Yeah. So were you involved at all in the process of that? Oh, I was totally – well, I wasn't involved in the writing. And mm-hmm. I, I think one of the most exciting things for me about this script is that a man wrote, I think, two really 
complex female characters um, that feel really real to me. But the movie is based on my experiences as a woman as a, and as I started off as an actress. And we talked a lot before he sat down to write the movie about how I felt growing up and how I was like often con- told to calm down and that I was too much and that um, I was too aggressive or like I remember I had a friend tell me that like maybe I had more testosterone than most women like <laughs> I mean like my whole life I've always just been kind of alienated from this idea of traditional femininity as someone who has no opinions and is shy and like thin and beautiful and then you know I was going through a particularly hard time right around when we started writing the script where I was feeling alienated from these kinds of friends I was talking about who I had been attracted to for how they presented themselves as women and then ended up resenting them for playing this game that I was failing at playing. And I, like, destroyed a lot of friendships. Like, they totally imploded because I just had so much resentment. And, you know, after reflecting on those relationships and what happened with them, I realized that the reason I was so mad at them was because I actually was in so much pain and hated myself so much for not, you know— fitting into the tiny box that we're supposed to fit into. And um, my husband, Lawrence, was sort of watching all of this unravel and was trying to talk me through it. But he was also going through something really similar, or he was really in touch with this idea of not feeling like you fit into what you're supposed to be as, as you know, the media projects to you who you're supposed to be. Because I think men have a similar box. It's just right. different. It's a, yeah, different metrics. Yeah, you're, like, not allowed to cry if you're a dude. And you're <laughs> supposed to make a lot of money. And, like, you're mm-hmm. supposed to be the breadwinner. And you're, like, not a man if you can't do that. And I think he was, like, unpacking a lot of that. So he was able to put – he was really able to empathize with what I was going through and with what those women were going through. Um, and I started talking to a lot of friends and, and people in my life and expressing these feelings of just, like, alienation from – traditional femininity and and everyone was like oh yeah I feel like a failure too Hmm. I was like well then why aren't we all talking about this more because maybe if we talk about it then we won't feel like failures and we'll realize that that's fake and what we're we are is real right I mean yeah and I identified so much with Mackenzie Davis's character too like how she's always like being extremely opinionated in bars and alienating men I mean I do that shit all the (laughs) time totally (laughs) it was really yeah and like that scene, there's a scene in the movie where she's, like, flirting with a guy in, I guess you could say, an aggressive way. That's totally how I flirt. Mackenzie mm-hmm. talks about it, too. She's like, that's how I flirt, too. Like, why would you want someone who's just, like, sitting there? Vest- like, right. And then Caitlin used to say that when she used to go on dates. And she plays the more, and she like, plays the traditionally girl. feminine. Yeah, yeah girl. she and her friends, like, called it vesseling, where, like, they would just sit there and let a guy talk to them the whole time. And, like, the guy would never ask them anything about themselves. And then they were just these vessels to receive the man's identity. Wow. Oh, my and, God. That's my nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Do you feel like directing is a relief at all from those feelings or from oh, that yes. dynamic? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I love directing and I really feel like my personality is better suited to directing and one thing I've been really thinking about a lot lately is that I think part of the reason why I grew up and and pursued acting first was because of the lack of female filmmakers to look at as role models and I've spoken to an, a few other actress friends who are like really creative and really opinionated and strong-minded and have a clear vision and when they're acting on set they're like frustrated by directors and like mm-hmm. really like engage in making movies in a really, you know, um, really intense way in this way that I kind of, as an actor, like, am sometimes on set and I'll, like, get into arguments with directors because I, like, also have my vision. And she's – and this one friend said, you know, I don't think I would have chosen to be be an actor if I had been born a guy. I think I would have decided to be a director. And that's something that I'm, like, unpacking right now and realizing that, like, so much of my life and the the way that – 
path for me was like sort of laid out as like if you want to if you love movies and you want to be a creative person you get to be a beautiful actress who wears a <laughs> lot of clothes like fancy clothes and gets looked at and 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 taken pictures of mm-hmm. and, and the guys get to like be the ones creating the stories and it's totally huh. true that that's like the history of Hollywood too you know there are so many like fantastic actresses who were completely artists like right. Betty Davis was yeah. like an artist or yeah, like totally. it's like its own pursuit but you don't have the control of the material um do you feel like that dynamic exists outside Hollywood uh is it like something that you feel like was particularly intense for you because you you were in this environment of wanting to do something that there weren't role models for no like like this sort of jealousy and competition oh yeah Yeah. Uh, for me like the the fact that they're actresses is more just that actresses are emblematic of women in general and they're like held to a really specific standard of beauty and behavior that I think a lot of women are held to. And that, um, and I think that, like, in day-to-day life, women feel like there's not enough to go around and feel really competitive because of the scarcity of opportunities in your, in, you know, in career or mm-hmm. with men, like you were saying. And, um, and and I hope that a lot of women can see themselves. I mean, I hope they don't see themselves because it's kind of depressing. But, like, I hope <laughs> that, like, it speaks to something that I... I think that a lot of women experience and this idea of performing like actresses perform on screen, but we are all performing all the time. We're like told that this is how a woman acts. So then we like try to fit into that or we rebel against it. But whatever image we're trying to project to other people is like kind of at least at least subconsciously and sometimes very consciously a constructed, crafted performance Mm -hmm. based on what um, reaction you want to elicit from other people. So it's kind of like acting all the time. Oh, man, it's dark. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm curious, the two, Mackenzie and Caitlin, like how much when you presented this story to them, were they like, oh, I totally have felt this way. This is the life that I know as well. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I cast Mackenzie and Caitlin was because of how open and honest they were w- and how like clearly they related to the material. And I think especially with Mackenzie, because Anna's like a really kind of, you know, ugly part to play like Mm -hmm. you're really dealing with your lower self feelings when you play that part and she right away was just like I've totally felt this way I've totally you know felt competitive I've always felt like I was too big too tall like too loud Mm -hmm. um and it was really refreshing to hear an actress describe how she related to the character because a lot of the actors that I I like skyped with a lot of actresses and met with a lot of actresses and they were all like oh yeah Anna's a really good part but like I actually really relate to Beth. And I'm like, you, you not every <laughs> single person relates to, like, the perfect shy girl. That's, right. I mean, I think there's, like, a little bit of both of them and everyone. But it was just funny that no one no one but them were really willing to admit, like, yeah, I've gone to really dark places. And Something else that we were talking about is that this movie reminded us a little bit of Queen of Earth, which I'm sure you've heard. I have. Did you? <laughs> I, I shot this movie the same month. I was going to ask, it. what was yeah. the timeline of that? Yeah, yeah, we. He was a friend of mine for a while, and he, I think we sent him the script a, a while before either of us started shooting. Um, but yeah, we didn't talk about this at all. <laughs> oh, so he wait, he saw the script. I, I mean, I don't know if he ever read it, but I know like we we always were like we were like part of the same group of friends yeah. in passing. Oh, interesting. Scandal. <laughs> what a scandal! Um, but I have not seen that movie, and we shot it the exact same month, the exact same time. But he finishes first. I thought I we see. just I thought that was such an interesting irony, like two movies about doppelgangers that are I like know. doppelgangers of each other. It's Crazy, just like, right? Well, it's also like the meta. New York, the New York indie film scene. It has its own like zeitgeist team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. It was annoying. I mean, <laughs> it's annoying to me. <laughs> but. I mean, I totally get that. Yeah. 
I would be irritated also. This is my first time talking about it on the record. Ooh. <laughs> We're very honored <laughs> that you would trust us with a scandal. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's an issue that you're talking about with this movie and a big problem that we all have felt, which is like this, the way that the patriarchy pr- pushes us to compete with each other. Mm-hmm. How do we solve it? I know that's like a giant question, but. I don't know how we solve it, but I do know something that's helped me is that. And what I hoped to do with this movie, which is just to acknowledge the darkness within us and then move through it and not feel like we have to be perfect and that we're not allowed to have dark thoughts or be mad at each other or feel competitive. And one of the things that I really envy men in my life for is their ability to, like, work through a conflict with one of their friends in this way where it's totally overt and they're like, what the fuck, man? And they, like, get into an (laughs) argument and then they're friends again. And I feel like with women there's this insidious, like, we have to look like we're perfect, but then we have to, like, dig in. It's because we're better at communicating, which makes us worse at communicating. (laughs) Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it is. I do feel that way when I I have conflicts with my female friends. I'm, like, sick about it and I can't. Yeah, it's so scary. It is scary. It's like, can we survive this, like, tiny disagreement? (laughs) But I just think I feel like it's because we're taught to like not be aggressive and to not be like overt in anything and to just always be small and and some and so for me like a big part of making this movie was learning how to just be like I'm feeling really jealous of my best friend right now and it's totally okay and normal and that's your jealousy and it'll pass and a lot of and then like there's another layer of it which is just like a lot of the times it's because I'm actually feeling really vulnerable at something like one of the big reasons I was jealous of a lot of my friends who were, you know, getting more work as an actor. And it's so funny because it became this self-fulfilling prophecy was I was worried they were going to, like, leave me behind and stop loving me and stop being my friend. And then I ended up alienating them so much that I lost them as friends because I was Mm -hmm. so preemptively mad at them about that. But this idea of, like, trying to figure out, like, well, why are you jealous? What are you really worried about? So you don't become famous. What does your life look like if you're not the most famous person? Like, (laughs) is that actually the worst thing in the world? And, like, you have have your health and you have friends and family. And so, like, deconstructing the feelings in this way has been really helpful to me. And then it makes it easier for me to connect with other women and and not, like, start to, like, create these narratives like, oh, well, they're trying to mess me. Like, they're not helping me. And they're not, you know, all those right. things. So my friendships have been more fulfilling ever since I figured that out. Do you, like, engage more in those types of conflicts? Do you feel more comfortable saying to, like, your friend, would you say, I'm feeling jealous of you or I'm feeling competitive with you? Yeah. And I think it makes them really uncomfortable, but it really <laughs> helps me. <laughs> but— because I think they're just like, well, what am I supposed to do about that? But I just, like, need someone to hear me. Right. You know, yeah. or sometimes I just say it to myself. Like, Mackenzie and I got into a thing. We did, like, a press day a couple of weeks ago. And I was feeling really jealous because, like, everyone wanted to talk to her. And, I, like, I was like, oh, but I made the movie. I really want to talk to her. <laughs> and, I was, and I was starting to feel jealous. And I think I, like, said it to her. And then she had this, like, really strange reaction. And then it was fine. Like, not a strange reaction, like a bad one. She was just kind of, like, caught off guard a little bit and, like, didn't know exactly how to respond. But she just, like, was there for me and absorbed that feeling and then, like, was reassuring. And then we were fine. Mackenzie's actually been really good. She's really good at talking about her feelings and checking in. And that's really inspiring to me. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. This is, like, movie making as therapy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You just, like— spent a lot of money to save a lot of money absolutely <laughs> yeah I mean health insurance did not pay for this movie but it probably wouldn't have paid for health therapy health insurance either. won't pay for anything in no. four months so yeah. it's okay <laughs> so the lady problem this week is that Kathleen Kennedy who is the Lucasfilm chief 
She, in an interview with Variety, she was asked about hiring female directors to direct Star Wars movies, and she said, We want to make sure that when we bring a female director in to do Star Wars, they're set up for success. They're gigantic films, and you can't come into them with essentially no experience. And then later she said, we, will, we want to really start to focus in on people we would love to work with and see what kinds of things they're doing to progress up that ladder now and then pull them in when the time is right. It's a lot of pushing Ooh. and pulling yeah. and choosing and picking. Yes. So obviously <laughs> this is fucked up on several levels. Um, mainly, I mean, men with no experience get massive opportunities all the time. And we can we can name a couple off the top of our heads. There's Colin Trevorrow with Jurassic World. And then there's Alex Ross Perry, your sworn yeah. enemy with <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Josh Trang and Fantastic Four. I mean, there's so many examples of a man just getting pulled out of obscurity. Gareth Edwards. Yeah, to do a giant, giant movie. Literally Godzilla. Right. <laughs> the giantest of movies. But I, what really bothered me the most about it is that it's it's a woman. This is a female producer saying these things, which I guess is probably not surprising considering the face you're making. But. Yeah. Well, I okay, I think that's like a ridiculous thing to say because of the hypocrisy of what you're talking about. But I want to dovetail. Is Please that a do. word? Which is because since the election, I've there have been a lot of conversations about like identity politics and mm-hmm. focusing. And one of the things that I think at least the people in my sphere were focused on was there aren't enough directors, uh, you know, women in Hollywood directors. And I mean, like the Equal Rights Amendment hasn't even been ratified yet. And like it feels a little bit just like Hollywood is a capitalistic patriarchal construct. And Mm -hmm. I really feel a little bit like that's a symptom of a problem that like maybe we need to start looking at like the root of the problem rather than just being like, well, if there are enough, it it feels a little bit of an extension of this like form of feminism that took hold in the 80s of like women entering a man's world and then so everything's okay and equal, but like there's something more like insidious underneath it. And and I'm like so embarrassed. Like I didn't even know until after Hillary Clinton lost that the Equal Rights Amendment had never been ratified. So men and women aren't constitutionally guaranteed to get paid the same amount for their work. And women of color are paid even less than white women. Mm -hmm. And I think that like there's I think that I really want everyone to channel like the outrage that we were feeling with like Oscar So White and all of that and like and like get more to a grassroots level of like how do we lift everyone up mm-hmm. rather than focusing on these like kind of elite institutions anyway that that exist in this like they're just like so there's just to me like a ho- a big blockbuster hollywood movie is like like a form of propaganda and a form totally of like, that was something we were talking about like we wanted to ask you about yeah. is that you know part of it is like it's bullshit that a woman can't like make a fucking Star Wars movie yeah. like, and get how, 150 million dollars yeah, yeah 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 like as as much as anyone deserves 150 million dollars your gender shouldn't be like right. the right. the thing that determines it but it's also like in making a product like that you're really acting as a brand manager mm-hmm. more so than you are as an artist. You know, it's like you have to figure out how your storyline is going to produce characters that can then be turned into, like, little action figures. And, like, you have to, like, figure out, okay, we're going to be doing, like, a tour around four continents. And when we do the tour, we need to make sure that we hit, like, these bullet points. Right. And it's such a – it's a job beyond – the like artistic experience of like yeah. making a film and it's totally cool that women I personally am not that interested in that but I have friends who like really want to work on studio movies and I think that they deserve to and that's absolutely important and I don't think I mean I think it's crazy like it's not like Colin Trevorrow was like not being shepherded through the process right. as it was going on that's really yeah like that should happen with women right now but it's just like I think a little bit 
I didn't see a lot of, before Hillary Clinton lost, I didn't see a lot of conversations happening about, like, how can we give women equal rights on, like, a really concrete level? It was, like, all about stuff like this. Huh. That's so interesting. And I do feel like in the 70s, I mean, I don't I don't know, like, I'm not, like, so well-read on feminism, but I feel like in the 70s, a lot of the conversation about feminism was about finding this equality between men and women where the men were able to enter, like, women's spheres just as much as women were able to enter men's spheres. And then I feel like something happened where, like, a bunch of women went into Wall Street and wore power suits, and that was, like, a big focus. Well, totally. yeah, it's, like, a different—it's a different understanding of, like— what success means right. as a feminist goal, yeah, um, and that that is like a like a neoliberalism nineteen eighties Reagan Reaganomics yeah. sort of thing of like we're the working girls now, mm-hmm. and then we're gonna get our perm, and then enter <laughs> you know like yeah. the Carly Simon song is gonna play, right. and then we will have our CEO position. Thank you very much. Right, close the but, door. But like those values to me are bad for men and women. Right, like, I don't I don't want to like. Start to have to work in a world where, like, I'm supposed to, like, suppress my creative impulses and emotions because, like, I have to compete with men. Well, and it's also—well, it's also, like, to suppress your creative impulses because they're not profitable. Right. Right. But I do want to live in a world where I'm—where I have the opportunity to be a douchebag as much as a man, (laughs) you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, insofar as, like, the world is or isn't changing— Yeah. I do think it did remind me of like white women vote this Kathleen Kennedy quote of like white women voting for Trump. We were talking about that, mm-hmm. about like a woman like entering a man's world and like feeling more protected because she's in that man's world. Yeah. Sort of dissociating from like her womanhood or her quote unquote sisterhood. Well, or, or like a sense of community at all. Right. You know, like in, even even in the sense of like talking about people as yeah, like things to be pulled into on your giant plan of like a financial management of a huge company mm-hmm. is its own sort of dehumanizing process. And I do think I get totally see your point about like we don't even need to be worrying about these. Well, no, I think we right do. Now. I just feel like it's a symptom of a larger For problem. For sure. But at some part of me feels like it's like art reflecting life, reflecting art. Like I do think culture. Personally, I feel like culture does have a responsibility to sometimes make the first moves. I totally you know what agree. I, mean? I totally yeah. agree. And I think art is, as a subversive political act is really important. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if, like, the conglomerate blockbusters <laughs> yeah. is really— You don't think Star Wars is going to change? <laughs> well, I actually kind of feel like Hollywood movies, like, created an environment where someone like Donald Trump could swoop in and be like, I'm Batman. I'm yes. going to save you all. Mm-hmm. And all of these, like, 100%. lone male, right. like, guys who have to do evil in order to combat evil yeah. and, like, all this stuff. <laughs> like, like we were being—I sound like my downstairs conspiracy theorist, <laughs> 70-year-old. We've all turned into the 70-year-old conspiracy theorist. We theory. didn't bring weed to this, but maybe we should have. <laughs> it's sad because men like dominate an industry like the Star Wars making industry. <laughs> but also, you know, it's like the Queen of Earth thing too of like even within the kind of small budget indie world, there's still like far 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 more male filmmakers who get yeah. funding, far more male filmmakers who get access to film festivals, far more Totally. You know, there's I think like, that's where like stuff really needs to change and like if you look at like film festival programmers in film festivals where like there are more male film programmers there are more male films like I played at uh, Always Shine Premiere at Tribeca where there it was like I think all female film programmers or like of the heads or whatever they were mm-hmm. all women and they had so many women fil- filmmakers and it was like so cool so again it's like like I think those are the places where, like, let's get more female film programmers and people of color who are film programmers so and people of color and women making movies and giving them money to make their stories and tell their— Alternative spaces. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'll turn up spaces. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's where the real, and then like give them enough money to make these movies, like Moonlight, Barry Jenkins movie. Like mm-hmm. that's an amazing example of fantastic an, an, an extraordinary movie by an extraordinary filmmaker that got enough money that people are seeing it. And it's like shaping people and changing people and people are having like really profound reactions to that movie. And I would like to see more of that. Like, I would rather they never ma- – like, well, they're not going to do this. But, like, wouldn't it be cool if instead of being like, we've got to be like – have big dicks and make huge movies. Like, <laughs> let's go back to like that vibe of the 70s where like people were making – there were more movies being made for less money that were like very specific and unique stories and give smaller amounts of money to more – a more diverse group of people. That's what I want. I'm, I'm in. Lady solution. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you for solving the problem for us. We're starting a new segment called One Thing You Can Do This Week to Fuck with the Trump Administration. And and kicking it off, Taya will tell us about uh, about this week's one thing. So when we were talking about, you know, just things to looking looking forward that we can do to start to uh, be proactive about the world that we're entering in the next four years, um, I reached out to an old professor of mine who I loved and adored and it was like one of the most um, – enriching experiences I've ever had being in her classes just to say thank you so much for all that you've done for me. And she sort of sent me back this article um, that was written at The Correspondent. And it's this article that's about it's it's from a woman who is an expert in totalitarian I've been governments. I've following, this woman, sorry, following oh. this woman on Twitter. She's incredible. Sarah Kenzier. Yes. She's yes. incredible. What's her uh, name? Sarah Kenzier. Okay. Um, so, so people can find her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's this article that's basically about how one of the things that you can do even as you have relatively little agency post-election is that you can start to document a code of ethics so that you have for yourself a record of how you want to be behaving in the world, how you expect your government to behave so that when things start to change, when Donald Trump announces that I don't know what like what have been some of his craziest Twitter things lately. I've been I blocked him a I mean, while like ago. When he says in four years there's not going to be elections anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the the Muslim registry that right. like you know my Sudanese friends have been like really worried about. For uh-huh. example, if something like that starts happening, you have a record of what you expect normal to be, because a lot of the time things change so slowly, so subtly, so in such a minuscule way at first that it starts to feel normal and it's one way to sort of ensure yourself against that feeling of complacency. Right. So you're like, when this thing happens, I will do this. Right, exactly. So like if you see someone on a bus like harass a woman who's wearing hijab, what do you think is appropriate to do? And like Mm -hmm. that's for you to decide too. You know, if you're understanding of your responsibility is physical, if your understanding of your responsibility is verbal, if your understanding of your responsibility is, I don't know, and like giving money and doing whatever, but just so that you define for yourself your own actions and mm-hmm. your own path to take moving forward. Yeah, because um, it is so, even in the past three weeks, I find myself 
my instinct immediately is to like think that something's not a big deal or it's not really going to happen. Totally. Just like by way of self-preservation. But I think it's super important to have it, even just like a list in front of you. Like this isn't normal. This isn't normal. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I started to do it. Um, I was home for the holidays this weekend and I like did it on the bus coming back. And I just started to like write down what I wanted myself, how I wanted myself to behave and how mm-hmm. I wanted myself to act in the world. Um, and it's true that like there is just an immense amount of clarity having written something down. You know what I mean? That like when you're in a decision and when you're in a moment where you have to make a decision about how you're going to behave, like you've you've already chosen in a mm-hmm. way. You know what I mean? And I think that's sort of where the feeling of potential comes from in that idea. Thank you, Teo. That was very helpful. You're welcome. So now we're going to play this week's Lady Problem Caller. It's cool. a, a woman named Nicole. This one is fucking this is, crazy. It is really <laughs> fucked up, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Nicole. My lady problem is uh, recently I had a falling out, a fight that was quite intense with my aunt as she lashed out at me and accidentally DM'd me when she meant to, to DM her daughter, uh, kind of making fun of my Instagram and saying, oh, why doesn't Nicole like us? Maybe it's because we make fun of her, but she doesn't know it. Ha ha ha. When when she was announcing it to me, uh, which wasn't great. And the, the crux of the issue was selfies and thinking that uh, she didn't understand why I needed to show off how beautiful I was. And in general, not getting it at all and thinking that it's very uh, not feminist. She thinks it is women portraying themselves like in a way that the media would like them. It's like I am objectifying myself and she doesn't understand like why my self-esteem is so low that I must stoop to that. Whereas for me, it's like selfies are power and they're like a way in a very working in a very male dominated space and like living obviously in a terribly male dominated space. It's like a, a the one safe zone to like fuck you to everyone and just portray yourself how you would like to be portrayed. Yeah, I think the problem for me is, like, feeling like, um, you know, uh, my social media is part of my work. And I have a lot of people who follow me and, like, just wondering how to take the empowerment that I feel from putting photos of myself on the Internet and reconcile it with this, like, disdain or, like, unprofessionalism or, like, unbecoming femininity that I think certain people in older generations feel. Big one. <laughs> what do you What do you think, Sophia? I believe Jay Z has a lyric. <laughs> <laughs> he who does not feel me is not real to me. Therefore, he does not exist. So, poof, I'm a son of a bitch. There you go. <laughs> okay, this is like classic auntie feminism. I just like to throw that out there. Like everyone has a mean auntie who will try to use like politics against them. At least the one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I already know who mine is. Once she told me I knew nothing about relationships. Oh. I was like, oh, cool. I think, um, I think, man, I don't get it. I feel like we're in a period of time right now where, like, everyone needs to chill with, like, you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right and just come together. And mm-hmm. if, like, someone wants to do a selfie, who cares? Right. Also, like, 
it's your niece. Like, that's so mean. Like, can you imagine just being, like, a dick about, like, somebody that you watched as a baby? Like, right. <laughs> Well, she's just definitely jealous, right? Isn't that why oh, anyone criticizes anyone? Oh, yeah, wow. I always feel like that. Like, mm-hmm. when I'm judgmental of someone, it's either because I see something in them that's true of myself that I don't like about myself. Like, I like if like there's someone who I think is like too career obsessed or something or like striving. I'm always like, ew, that's so gross. But it's like, oh, I wish I could be like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so maybe there's that, or it's like I, you know, in this case, if she's, I don't know who the selfie person is, but if she's very beautiful. The aunt might just be like so jealous. Your aunt is jealous of your bomb selfies. Yeah, Nicole, that makes a lot of sense to me. But honestly, I mean, if she can't re- recognize that in herself, if she's not self-aware enough. I'm like, fuck her. She sounds awful. I can't believe she was talking shit about you on, what, Facebook? Yeah, DMing. Yeah. <laughs> DMing her daughter to talk shit about you. I that's know. like, your aunt needs to get a life, honestly. <laughs> like, that's the the real solution yeah. is, like, please serve your aunt her life. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to talk about the question she raised at the end. I mean, I think you make a good point about, like, let's just all get off of each other's backs right now. Yeah. I thought you were going to say dicks. I was. I, I almost like, did I say dicks. Down. <laughs> I almost did say dicks, and I was like, that doesn't make sense in this context. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I am, yeah, like, I, I do think that there's a disconnect between the, the ways to be a feminist of, of our aunties and ourselves. Yeah, but, <laughs> our you know, I think that, but I also think, like, whatever, that's obnoxious, but, like, we have to respect that they went through a whole other set of things, and maybe they struggle, I don't know, I don't know, like, the hill, like, a lot of older women, like, really connected with Hillary Clinton in a way that younger women didn't, I think, because they encountered a form of misogyny that's different than the form of misogyny right. we encounter. Mm. So it might trigger something for them right? to, yeah. like, see a, like, see a woman posing in a certain way or, or using her sexuality or her attractiveness to, like, get power might, might trigger something for them of, like, ah, oh, we were, like, fighting so hard to not have to use our sexuality and, and, mm-hmm. and yeah. appearances, and now they're going back to that. So— I don't know. I'm trying really hard lately. Normally, I would just be like, fuck you. But I'm trying really hard lately to see all sides of everyone who seems like they could be some sort of ally. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. I need to do that more, for sure. Well, I've just been we so angry. stick together, man. We do. We really do. Auntie, Nicole. <laughs> auntie and Nicole. And the cousin. Yeah, and on the, the receiving cousin. end. And maybe, like, that's you know true. what? Maybe the, the auntie knew what feminism was. Right. Yeah. She did probably yeah, vote for Hillary. She's got something going on more than— But also, like, also maybe the cousin—this is another, like, pop psychology <laughs> thing. Maybe the cousin is really insecure about her looks, and the auntie and the cousin, like, it's her, the auntie's way of connecting to the cousin at the expense of someone else, which is bad. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe— um, she, like, has a relationship with her own daughter that, like, she has a hard time connecting with her. So, like, she found something that they can both talk about. Wow. Wow. You are being you- extremely empathetic. I'm really <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I'm trying to be. <laughs> it was obnoxious. Yeah. No, it totally is. But that's a really good point. I think you're right about the jealousy and the motivations behind it. So, I know. Maybe repair things with your auntie, Nicole. Well, maybe- people always say to use I feel statements. When you accidentally DM me criticism. <laughs> Makes me feel. <laughs> it makes me feel bad. <laughs> it is interesting, too. Like, I mean, having your job being like we all deal with social media as like a part of um, like an inevitable part of like the workplace now. And so it is hard when it's like your identity is just a part of how mm-hmm. you market yourself to a certain extent in a lot of cases. And that's not really like something that existed, you know. 40 years ago. Right. Maybe she's just really confused by Instagram. I mean, I'm confused by Instagram. Right. Yeah. I just started to Instagram. I Instagrammed a picture of my dog. It's I'm a really so good proud picture. Of you, That's cool. <laughs> I don't judge you 
for your Instagram dog selfies. Yeah, why is your dog always going to be on Instagram? <laughs> it's no, it's just like it was one. It was one picture. Hey, stop. It was like you a, think your dog is so beautiful. Okay, <laughs> actually, my dog is really beautiful. She's so old though. She's deaf and blind. What wave of feminist is she? Um, like second wave because she can only use two legs. <laughs> Her back legs are a little dysfunctional. Oh She's like 16 years old. She's so Whoa. old. Cool. That is old. Please make sure you call and leave us a message with your lady problem, whether you have a jealous auntie or a second-wave feminist dog. Uh, we're here to answer anything. So call us at 205-677-5239. That's 205-677-LADY. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Sophia. Thank you, guys. Do you want to tell people where they can see Always oh, Shine? So Always Shine opens December 2nd in select cities, um, which you can find on the website, and also video on demand and iTunes and stuff. So you could just, like, chill on your couch and watch it. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. It's a, it is actually a really good, like, home movie. Yes, yeah, very. Right. Curl up. Yeah. A good cold weather, spooky thriller. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. And Teo, thank you. We will see you guys next week. This week's episode of Lady Problems was recorded by Renan Borelli, who did us a huge favor. So thank you. Lady Problems is produced by Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovic, Michael Catano, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to Lady Problems on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.